Oscar Wilde, the British wit and playwright, said, I can resist everything except temptation. You ever, you ever had that feeling? I can resist everything except temptation. The problem with that comment is that it, it, it does take temptation rather uh, flippantly and um, I suppose it indicates an attitude sometimes, well, you know, this is how I am and this is how it goes and this is how I'm wired up and these are my circumstances, nothing I can do about me and there's nothing I can do about my circumstances and I guess I'm just stuck with it and there's not a lot of point worrying about it so I I guess I can just resist everything but temptation. Uh, That's really not the way to go. I I did read a prayer that I I thought was uh, more helpful the other day and this, this is how the prayer goes. Dear Lord... So far today, I've done all right. I have not gossiped. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to have to get up. (laughs) Now, now that's more realistic. That's more realistic. You see, he's going to have to get up. And when he gets up, he knows that he's going to face a whole lot of situations and he's going to meet a whole lot of people. And, and there are all kinds, of, all kinds of things are going to come his way. And uh, he's also realistic enough to go on to say this, that fully recognizing what he's going into, he, he concludes the prayer by saying, so Lord, I'm really going to need your help today. Now, that's the realistic approach to to temptation, that we've got to simply face up to the fact that given the world is what it is, and given that we are what we are, there are all kinds of situations that are going to come our way, and all these situations give us the opportunity to go wrong. And therefore, we need to be looking very, very carefully at the situations of our day, and we need to be relating them to the Lord. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. That every temptation that comes your way that is an opportunity to go wrong also provides an opportunity to do right. I'm going to repeat that because that is probably the most important thing I'm going to say. Every opportunity that comes my way to go wrong presents me with a chance to do right. It's perhaps because of this that Scripture has something that's really quite fascinating involved in it that you may not see in your English Bible. There's a Greek word, pyrasmos, and the Greek word pyrasmos is sometimes translated temptation, but other times it is translated trial or testing. It's the same word. The reason for it, of course, is this. When you think about it, a specific set of circumstances that you confront during the course of your day will be a temptation if you handle that situation in such a way that you finish up going wrong. On the other hand, that identical set of circumstances will prove to be a test or a trial that you pass if you embrace that situation and use it as an opportunity to do right. So when we think in terms of temptation, we would make a very serious mistake if we thought of it purely in terms of negatives. We need to accept it as a possibility to go wrong or as an opportunity to do right. 
As you get up in the morning and you head out into the day, you may meet a person or a situation that is a potential seduction to evil. But remember that that potential seduction to evil is also, by very nature, a possible opportunity for strengthening you. You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph was, was a young man who was put in a situation where he, he, was, he was actually invited to do something totally wrong with an older woman. And this very seductive situation was presented to him, and he turned away from it stronger. This potential seduction, actually, because it was handled appropriately, finished up being the means of strengthening him. Now, it's ironic that he, the young man, was able to resist the seduction of an older woman, whereas King David, the older man, was incapable of responding appropriately to the seduction of a younger woman. And he was presented with a seductive opportunity, and he went wrong in it, whereas Joseph was presented with a similar situation, and he did right in it. Almost identical situations, but one serves to strengthen and the other serves to seduce. One turns out to be a temptation, and the other one turns out to be a test. A temptation which one fell into, a test which the other one passed. Uh, Let's face it, we will get up in the morning and we will go into all kinds of situations, and some of them will serve to simply exhibit our human weakness. And yet that particular situation, when handled properly, can be a means of exhibiting God's power. It all depends how the situation is addressed. So I'm not going to just talk about temptation as a solicitation to evil. I'm going to talk about situations that may turn out to be a solicitation to evil, but could be a means of leading you to righteousness and truth. And in actual fact... One of the ways in which we can identify that we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus is by the way that we are increasingly, effectively handling temptation. Temptation is going to be here. They're not going to go away. You have got the inbuilt problems within. They're probably not going to go away. But the way in which we will demonstrate our increasing spiritual maturity, or one way in which we do it, is the way in which we carefully handle temptation. Now, let me turn your attention to a couple of verses in Scripture in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 10. If you're not familiar with your way around the Bible, don't worry about it. I promise to read it accurately. This particular passage recounts some of the things that happened to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness coming out of Egypt on the way to the Promised Land. There were all kinds of bad things happening, and they handled them very, very poorly indeed. In verse 11, the writer says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, we'll return to these verses towards the end of my talk, but right now, I want you to notice that there is a very realistic statement here, and it is this, that you have simply got to face up to the fact that this world of ours abounds in temptations, 
But in the middle of it is a faithful God who is totally committed to giving the means to live well in the midst of very tempting circumstances. That, that in essence, is what Paul is saying here. Now, there are four things that I want to identify for you on this subject of testing or temptation. The first one is this. The testing or temptation is permitted by the Lord. Temptation or testing is permitted by the Lord. This stands to reason. If we operate on the premise that there is a world that was created by God and that he's neither lost interest nor control over it, we have really no alternative but to accept the fact that his divine sovereignty in some way is operative. That being the case, we have divine sovereignty operating in a world in which temptation abounds. We come therefore to the conclusion that God in some way permits it. And we'll explore this in just a moment. The second thing to remember is this, that whilst temptation or testing on the one hand is permitted by the Lord, it is promoted by Satan. What that reminds us of, of course, is a fundamental statement of Scripture. And that is that God and Satan are locked in mortal combat. And that the battlefield in which they are locked in mortal combat is the souls of men and women. In other words, you, my dear friends, are a battlefield. And whilst God is permitting temptation to come your way, it is Satan who is promoting these things. And we need to keep those two things in tension and in balance. The third thing to notice is that temptation or testing is produced by a variety of factors. There are external circumstances and there are internal circumstances. And when they collide, the collision is potentially explosive. And with all that in mind, the fourth thing is that temptation or testing is profitable if handled properly. All right, let's look at the first of those things now. Temptation or testing is permitted by the Lord. I direct your attention to the epistle of James. It's, it's, a, it's an epistle that we don't tend to turn to as frequently, perhaps, as we ought. But let me read to you a few verses from the first chapter, commencing with verse 2. This is what James said. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, the word trials here is parasmoi. So he could be, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials, testings, or temptations of many kinds. He said, now hold it a minute, I'm supposed to count it great pure joy when I find myself in the midst of trials and temptations and testings. He said, you've got to be kidding, right? No, I'm deadly serious, because the scriptures are. But he goes on to explain why. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives generously. Now, we don't have time to explore the whole of this. The point, however, I think is quite clear. That it is saying that we should recognize under the sovereignty of God that we are exposed very often to tempting circumstances but that God permits this situation to obtain because he knows that handled rightly, these temptations, these testings, these trials will work out to develop and mature us so that we will become, as he says quite frankly, mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
Now, a similar idea occurs in Romans chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings. He doesn't exactly use the word temptation here, but the same idea obtains. We rejoice in our sufferings, and then he explains why. The reason that we do so is because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces confidence, and confidence does not disappoint us because God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, we have got to come to terms with the fact that God allows these kind of circumstances to confront us in our daily lives because in his benevolent purposes, handled rightly, they will serve to help us grow and mature in our experience. Now, we've got to decide whether we believe that or not. A number of years ago, I was down a gold mine in Johannesburg, South Africa. It's really a fascinating area. There is a a reef in, in which the gold is found, and this reef is only one meter wide. But whilst it is one meter wide, it is hundreds of feet deep and stretches over scores of miles. So there's sort of one slice of real estate uh, that has got all kinds of gold dust in it. And I was talking to one of the men who worked in the gold mine, and I said, what does gold look like when you find it uh, in the ground? He said, I don't know, I've never seen any. And I said, why? He said, well, it's just infinitesimal little fragments. But he did take me to the great grinding machines that were literally just chewing out this one meter of rock. And then they they showed me where they took all this rock and put it through great grinders. And and then they, they ground it smaller and smaller till in the end it was dust. And then they mixed it with chemicals and it became paste. And then they put it in the great furnaces and it was refined and eventually it was poured out and became ingots of gold. And the reason it became pure gold in the end was that it went through all the grinding and all the beating and all the heat and all the purifying. That's the idea of scripture, that we are going to grow and mature as people as we are exposed to temptations or trials and testings and we come through them in such a way that God is able to work positively in our lives. And the encouraging thing in Romans chapter 5 is this. He goes on to say that while all this is happening, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which in a sense means that whilst we're going through the testing and the temptation and the trials, the Spirit of God is whispering constantly, I love you, I love you. And we whisper constantly, you've got to be kidding, you've got to be kidding that if you really love me, you'll get me out of this. And God says, no, because I really love you, I'm allowing you to stay in this thing because I love you so much, I want you to grow up. I love you so much that I want you to be purified and matured. And so we see this theme in Scripture. One other passage in Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking here about something that he designates his thorn in the flesh. That's an inadequate statement. The word translated thorn, here is the word for cross. And it really is, it's like a stake that was driven through the center of his life and was giving him desperate problems. And he says that three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, quote, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, end quote. And then here's Paul's commentary on this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
When would a man or a woman be interested in God's power resting on them? Uh, The answer to that is when they realize how weak they are. It is only when we are aware of our weakness that we really are interested in deriving from his strength. It is only when we recognize how vulnerable we are that we turn to him in order that we might be protected by him. It is only in the area of trial and temptation and testing that we turn to discover the grace of God in a unique way. And so God permits these things to come into our lives. Now the second thing is that whilst these things are permitted by God, they are promoted by Satan. And the reason for this is made very, very clear in Scripture. Scripture teaches that the enemy of our souls is totally committed to thwarting the outworking of the purposes of God. That God has a plan for our world and Satan lives in constitutional, unrelenting opposition to all God's purposes. Now, unfortunately, men and women get caught in this battle. We find ourselves in the middle of this great cosmic spiritual conflict. This showed up very powerfully one day when Jesus was talking to his disciples. And and he said to them, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, now, this picture of sifting you like wheat is not dissimilar to the picture I just painted for you of grinding up rock to purify the gold. When, when you're harvesting out in the Middle East in primitive days, or in the first century, uh, you would simply beat up on that wheat, get rid of the chaff, and finish up with the kernel of grain in it. So Satan has desired to have you that he might beat up on you, Jesus says. But then turning his attention to Peter, he said, but I've prayed for you. And I've prayed for you that your faith doesn't fall, that your faith doesn't falter. And that when you are converted, when you come through this whole thing, you will strengthen your brethren. Now, now this is very fascinating. Satan is totally committed to destroying Peter. He's going to wreck this character. Why? Because God's purposes for Peter is that he will be the rock. But Satan's purposes are that he will be ground up and chewed up and spat out. But in this cosmic conflict, Peter is caught. But Jesus prays for him, and he says, Now when you come through this thing, you will come through in such a position that you can strengthen your brethren. Why? Because he himself has been strengthened in the situation. So Satan is diametrically opposed to the whole thing, And God, in his infinite sovereign wisdom, permits this because he knows that handled rightly, testing and trial and temptation will simply serve to help us grow and mature and be strengthened in order that we might strengthen others. Revelation chapter 12 talks about Satan as being the one who deceives the whole world. Deception is part of his stock in trade. Let me tell you a story. You've probably heard it. It's about a man and a woman and a snake and a tree. Does that that ring a bell? A man and a woman and a snake and a tree. It was just a tree among many trees. In fact, there were lots and lots of trees and just this one tree. The lots of trees were in a place that God had made called paradise and he put this man and woman in there and it was a wonderful, wonderful place. You just try to imagine the most glorious place to live and that was it. And God had made this place because he loved these people and he wanted these people to love him in return. Now, you can't make somebody love you. 
So if if you're going to make somebody who's capable of loving, you've got to give them a will to choose to love. But it's pointless giving them a will if they don't have a choice. So you've got to give them a choice. So God says, I've got to get these people so that they would want to love me. That means I've got to give them a will. That means I've got to give them a choice, but I'll make it as easy as possible for them. This is what I'll do. I'll give them the whole of paradise to enjoy, and I'll give them one tree that they will not touch. That's easy, isn't it? (laughs) No problem. I mean, why would anybody want to mess with one little tree when they've got paradise? Anybody in their right mind would say, God, this is wonderful. If you want me to prove that I love you, that's easy. All I'll do is I will not do what you don't want me to do, and I will do what you do want me to do, and so I'll enjoy paradise, and I won't even go within 100 meters of that stupid tree. That's how it's supposed to work. In actual fact, that is not how it worked. The old snake came along, and he had a different line. He said, can you believe that God would be so mean as to deprive you of the privilege of tasting the fruit of that tree? Can you you believe that God would be so mean and so ugly as to do that? What is the matter with this God? And he, he didn't say a thing about paradise. All he did was focus on this wretched tree. And the incredible thing about it was that they believed him. This man and this woman believed him. And they said, they're right. They're right. How could God be so mean and so ugly and deprive us and, and rob us of what it really means to, be, to know the fullness of life? And we would know it if we had that tree. And so they ate of the tree. And he deceived them. They were sucked into it. Can you believe they were sucking into it? Of course you can, because it happens every single day. Because you see, the devil's stock in trade is to try to persuade you that God's will is not good, and it's not perfect, and it's not acceptable, and that real life is to be found out there ignoring what God has said. This is his line, and we suck it into it constantly. It's called falling for temptation. And the approach of the evil one is simply to thwart the purposes of God, to destroy the faith of God's people, and to deceive people into believing that for some reason God does not want our best, and he really does. Now, that being the case, we need to look a little more carefully into this whole thing of temptation. Notice the third thing, which is this. The temptation is produced by a variety of factors. Internal factors, external factors. You remember the story of Job. Job had a bad day one day when he lost everything that he owned and everything that belonged to him, including his health, except for one thing, his wife. And she was such bad news that it's a pity he didn't lose her as well. In fact, of all the stuff he lost, she probably would have been the one he'd prefer to lose. And she comes along and she is a disaster. And she looks at the situation he's in, and she gives him the most incredible piece of advice. Curse God and die. That's, that's, that's Kevorkian. That, that, that's Kevorkian stuff. Curse God and die. Get yourself out of here. You deserve the right to, to choose, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Curse God and die. And the external circumstances that he went through were absolutely excruciating. And let's face it. The, the trials and the temptations and the tests of this cruel, harsh world where Satan's having a heyday uh, not to be underestimated. The thing we've got to remember, of course, is this, that it isn't just the external things. There's something inside us that responds to these external circumstances. The epistle of James, again, he says something here that's, that's really very important for us. 
I'm just going to keep talking until I find the place, which I've now done, and, and I'll continue talking now that I've found it. And this is what he says in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, what he's saying here is this. God never solicits anyone to evil. He will certainly permit trials, temptations, testings to come in order that we might discover his power and strength in it. But he never solicits anyone to evil. You can count on that. The problem is this, that we have within us what James calls evil desires. Evil desires are legitimate God-given passions that have been perverted. You know what I mean. You can think of all the legitimate God-given passions, you know what they are, and then you can think of how they have become perverted, and you know how that has happened. Now the problem is this, when we have within us these perverted, legitimate, God-given desires, and they come up against these external circumstances that are extremely difficult then the mix can be explosive, and if we're not careful, we can find ourselves succumbing to the situation. Because there is the outward pressure and the inward pull, and when they work together, then the potential for disaster is immense. Paul goes a step further than this, and right into the Corinthians, he reminds people that Satan will tempt us because of our lack of self-control. So put all this together. External circumstances that put great pressure on us, internal desires that have become perverted through fallenness, and lack of discipline and lack of self-control. Put all that together and you can see how temptations are responded to and people fall. Now God permits it, Satan promotes it, and various factors serve to produce it. The fourth and final thing, of course, is this, that this temptation and testing is profitable if handled properly. It is profitable if handled properly. Let me just outline this for you very quickly. Number one, we handle temptation and testing properly when we are aware of the spiritual dynamics involved. That's what I've been trying to explain to you. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this, "...we are not ignorant of Satan's devices." And I would, I would ask you an honest question. Are you ignorant of Satan's devices? Are you aware of the spiritual dynamics that are involved? Are you aware of the fact that when you get up in the morning, you're simply stepping out into a monumental spiritual conflict? Are you aware of that? If not, then there's a very high probability that you walk with blind eyes into the warm embrace of temptation and very often don't even notice what you're doing. The second thing is that we need to be alert to what is going on around us. Galatians chapter 6 talks about some people who have fallen in their lives, they've yielded to temptation, and the responsibility of people in the church to help restore them. 
but there's a word of warning to the restorers. And it says, you yourselves have got to be very, very careful considering the possibility that you yourself will also be tempted. In other words, it is imperative upon us that we be aware of the spiritual dynamics involved and alert to the potholes and the pitfalls that surround us on every hand. The chances to go wrong are legion. The third thing is that we need to be active in our response to the situation. Now, we are active in response to the situation when, first of all, we trust God in it. And let me refer you now to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which I read to you at the beginning of my talk. Let me remind you of what it says here. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now, that's a trenchant statement. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You see, what we say is this. Well, my situation is quite unusual and my temptations are absolutely unique and therefore, God, because my situation is unusual and my temptations are unique, you'll have to make an exception as far as I'm concerned. And God says, forget it. Forget it. This world is full of all kinds of tempting tests and trials and there's nothing unusual about the one that you're going through. There's a million people who've got a similar Situation, So there are no exceptions granted here. However, it goes on to say this, in the middle of these testings and trials and temptations, God is faithful. Faithful to do what? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, to which we respond, you've got to be kidding. And God says, no, I'm not. I will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So you cannot engage in Flip Wilson theology, which simply says, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do it unless you don't believe that God would never allow you to be tempted beyond what you, in his power, could cope with. Not only that, he goes on to say this, and will, with the temptation, provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He does not provide a way out so you can get away from it, He provides a way out so that you will stand up under it. Let me illustrate. Try to imagine an old steam engine where you've got a boiler with water in it and you light a fire under it and the purpose of the fire is to boil the water so that you create steam. The idea of creating the steam is this is energy which you then channel so that it drives the engine that you want it to drive. Now, of course, if you build up too much pressure in that boiler, the boiler bursts and the whole exercise now becomes counterproductive. So knowing that the boiler might burst, the engineers, being very sensible people, build in something called the safety valve. And the point of the safety valve is to make sure that excess pressure is bled off but that the correct amount of pressure is maintained. To let all the pressure out would defeat the objective. To allow the boiler to burst would defeat the objective. You need the right amount of pressure to drive the engine, and you need the safety valve to let off the excess. Now, this is what Paul says. No temptation that has seized you is common to man, but God is faithful. God is faithful who will never allow you to be tempted 
beyond your ability in him to cope with it, and will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear up under it. In other words, he'll put a safety valve on your boiler so your boiler won't burst. But he will maintain the right amount of pressure to drive the engine to achieve what he's got in mind. Do you believe that? That's the issue. That's the issue. We need to be aware of the spiritual dynamics. We need to be alert to what is going on in our situation. And we need to be active in our response. And we're active in our response by trusting God in it. Secondly, by relating the situation to him in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, etc., etc., Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You've got to pray that God will deliver you in it. And the problem is sometimes we don't want to be delivered in it. There's the problem. We don't want to be delivered in it. We are enjoying our bitterness. We revel in our selfishness. We are thrilled that we're getting even through being vindictive. And let's face it, this relationship that we're in is sure providing some stuff that our marriage doesn't. And there's no question about it that we're getting our kicks through our pornography and we're certainly finding that our depression goes through our booze. So why would we want to be delivered from these things? And the answer very often is we don't. So let's be realistic about this thing. We've got to trust God in it And we've got to pray that he will deliver us through it. And then we've got to recognize the parable of the moth and the candle. You know the parable of the moth and the candle? The moth just loved the light of the candle. And it knew that there was some danger in the candle. But it figured that it could get as close to the candle as possible. And it got closer and closer and closer. And it enjoyed the light and it enjoyed the heat. And it thought that it could keep its distance, but then one moment the air that was being sucked up by the burning of the candle just sucked it in and its wings were singed and it fell. And the problem with our approach to temptation so often is this. We little moths want to fly as close to the candle assuming that we can keep it all under control. And scripture says this. You've got to resist the evil, and you've got to flee from it. And a little bit of common sense will go a long way. So if you know where the temptation lies, stay away from it. Get rid of it. Move out from it. And in the power of God, in trusting him, in prayer to him, with an intense desire to grow through the situation... Say, as you get up in the morning, Lord, so far today, I haven't been grumpy and I haven't been greedy. And I haven't done this and I haven't done that and I haven't done the other. But now I'm going to have to get up. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to step out into a veritable minefield of opportunities to go wrong. Every one of which presents me with the chance to do right. Thank you for this privilege. I embrace it. And I step out today 
in dependence upon you, seeking to be obedient to you. And I ask that at the end of the day, as I go over the day, I might be able to ask myself a question. What were the opportunities I had today to go wrong? And what did I do with them? You answer those questions at the end of the day, they will lead you to appropriate confession and a genuine desire to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there's the question. How am I handling the opportunities to go wrong? Let's pray together. Lord, look graciously down upon us. There are some of us today, we are mortified by the constant, continual defeat in which we live in one particular area. It's got us by the throat. And we ask, Lord, that we might discover in you and through you and through the community of believers that which will grant us a degree of triumph and freedom in this area. Be gracious to us, Lord. And Lord, there are some of us so casual and so flippant about it that we, we just um, go along with Oscar Wilde theology. I can resist everything but temptation, and with a grin we go happily our way. And I pray that you would show us how this is destructive, that this is contrary to your purposes, and is counterproductive as far as our eternal well-being is concerned. Whatever our situation might be, Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, write the truth deeply on our hearts, and by that same Spirit, would you empower us to live trustingly and obediently before you, that we might step out into the day and live wisely and well in a minefield of potential opportunities to go wrong. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.